welcome back to a modern man podcast i'm your host jd farrell and we're presented to you by the modern podcast network what's good y'all it's been just a week you know happy to see you i'm so happy for the guest today you might have heard me talk about her you've definitely seen her a little bit in the life you know current girlfriend of my best friend Stephen Merriweather who yeah you know but Melina Hawker joins the podcast and her segment Alphabet Soup which if you're wondering like why is it Alphabet Soup this is about medical school because of all the acronyms of all the classes that goes on in medical school so she comes on to talk about Alphabet Soup and kind of as a little precursor my little mini monologue to begin the podcast let's do a little kind of healthcare medical school background since that's what we'll be talking about today and you know most like 80 percent of americans live paycheck to paycheck and with that most of them are uninsured or have pretty shitty insurance so for most of these people living paycheck to paycheck these families insurance is like 500 to a thousand dollars like, I know everyone, as soon as you mention socialism, healthcare, they are like, Canada, if you have to, to go wait in line in Canada for your child care, it's going to be six, seven hours. One, we're not Canada. Stop comparing us to Canada or all these other countries, okay? Whatever we do, it's going to be a lot better. It's going to have a lot more money invested in it. And so we just have to realize that these families that are living paycheck to paycheck, either they have to pay out of pocket out of pocket anywhere you know from five six hundred dollars to thousand dollars a month minimum for decent insurance or these same people are already on government insurance so people complaining about socialism complaining about like higher taxes and blah 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 the people who really need this and are you know going to not kind of be providing a lot of the money for it already are already on government insurance so why don't we improve the system and give it to more people but we know the healthcare system is fucked i don't know the fucking first thing sorry about all the f-bombs about how to fix it but we know it should be better when a lot of young people I speak with my age and me, myself, when we go decades, a, well, not de- a decade, without going to a doctor just because the fear of the, I mean, because even if you have insurance, you know, an emergency room visit is $300. A regular visit is $50. Then the prescription is going to be another, you know, $50, $100. And, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, it's like, uh, if I don't feel that bad, do I really want to go and pay $50 here, $50 this time, fit, and then do that. You know, like I just said, people are living paycheck to paycheck. Do you think they have the money to now, oh, for one appointment per doctor visit, which you, all the specialists you could be going to, let's just say you have three visits a month, you know, that's another $700 a month that you're coming up with when these people are living, like we said, paycheck to paycheck. The healthcare system is fucked. Now let's go on in med school. All right. 
We love Milena. She's hit, biting the bullet for us. She's she's taking this. We also we got a shout out. They're not on the podcast. The amazing Vise Swami. All right, and Michigan State Medical School. All right, and then Malika. That that's uh, other coworkers that we both used to work with, also in medical school at University of Buffalo over in SUNY. But the average cost of medical school, you know, you're going to be 60 to 100 grand, like just tuition about 60 grand a year. And then you're taking out loans because you're definitely not working during this time. So you're paying close to 100 grand a year to go to school. Like that is not feasible to ask someone who grew up in poverty, grew up, you know, the minimum wage is seven twenty-five nationally. So they're just hoping to grow up and make eleven, twelve dollars an hour. And you're like, no, you work your butt off. You go get a bachelor's degree, which maybe you got a scholarship. You know, maybe that did get paid for because you you knew that was your only way out. But then you need to go get like a master's or do the prereqs to get in. So pretty much two more years of education. Then you need a year of preparing for the MCAT and applying and all this, that process. So we're at seven years right now. You're, you're still yet to make like a decent amount. And you, you've come from, like you hope you just make 11 an hour. Like you're coming from the slums where you're just hoping you get, you know, a little bit 50% over minimum wage. So we're at seven years. You got lucky and you got a free $60,000 education system. You're in debt from getting this master's level degree and maybe not in debt, but you know, it costs, it can be another $10,000 just applying to medical school because it's like maybe like a $200 initial uh, for the whatever it is, the process of applying, and then an extra $50 or so per school you apply for. So like a $200 base application fee, and then per school, an extra $50. And then people don't realize that per application could be, like if they are interested in you, an extra, you know, $500, $1,000. That's a plane ticket. Let's say now you live in, let me say, Let's say the South. Let's just say we're a little uh, a Mississippi and Alabama. All right. Birmingham, there's not huge airports in Birmingham. There's not tons of medical schools. So you need to apply to a plethora of medical schools. So let's say Birmingham to Boston. I don't think there's cheap flights from Birmingham to Boston. All right. Birmingham to Chicago. Birmingham to New York City. Birmingham to even Miami or Tallahassee, like those are not cheap tickets to where if you're in those areas where the less advantaged, lower income areas, it's even more expensive to get a ticket. You're paying $500 for a ticket. And then what the hotel room, you're flying all the way to New York City or Boston, what you can stay in a hostel. No, then you're getting a decent hotel room one, two days a night. Sometimes they have your second interview there. Sometimes or it might be your third interview because you had a first initial one maybe online or something. But then they may have like another interview in a couple days. So you have to uh, take a hotel room or stay at a hotel room for a few days. Some may have you come back for another round. So that's multiple tickets to the same location. So let's just say you applied to 20 schools with the extra $50 for the 20 schools. 
and then you maybe six wanted you to see and you're interested like really into all of that stuff just per plane ticket an average of four hundred dollars twenty four hundred dollars right there then staying in each place fifty dollars or so a night then the food then the lack of work you know like if you're suing someone for damages or for like uh if they wrecked your car or something like you the you know that personal like loss of wages like you're losing wages having to uh, apply to and go visit to these schools like yes it's something you want to do but the cost that is costing you to go to these places and do these interviews you're also losing money which is another cost so you know you ran up you're at seven years you haven't really made any significant money and you know you just paid another ten, fifteen thousand in debt just applying, and then they want you. All right, seven years into this process. Now, for the next four years, you're about to go another four hundred k in debt, half a million dollars with interest going close to a million dollars in debt, pretty much, saying to go get this prestigious degree. To go. Make drastic change in your community for the people you want to help go in debt almost a million dollars do you see how someone coming from like the poorest part of our country maybe doesn't think that that's a good thing so yeah i think we definitely should have amazing training for doctors and we have the best training in the world for doctors but yeah Maybe it should be a little more cost-effective for some other people or something. I don't know. Again, I'm not the expert. There are experts on this issue, and we should consult them. And hopefully, Milena is about to be one of those experts. So, yeah, let's get to Milena in this interview. I'm so happy now to be joined first-time guest on the podcast for her segment, Alphabet Soup Through Medical School, with Milena Hawker, my former boss, one of the most impressive people I've ever met. How are you doing, Milena? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's hard to think of myself as formerly your boss. And, well, what do you mean? For, it's over a year now, I'm pretty sure. Like, that's that's well in the past. Definitely former. I don't yeah. know about boss. Boss can be used pretty loosely. Oh, I, I mean, I definitely came to you for any questions, any <laughs> instruction. And you ran that shit, so I consider that a boss. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. So, so now to the listeners, give a little backdrop. If you want, you can go a little bit in your past educational experience, but kind of fill them in about where you are currently in your situation in medical school, where you're going, and kind of, yeah, from there. Yeah, so I'm currently in medical school. I did not always know that I wanted to be in medical school, so I really like biology. I majored in biology at Smith. Uh, but had no inclination of going into medicine. So I went into teaching instead and had to go back to school to do a bunch of prerequisite coursework in order to be able to apply to medical school. Um, yeah, I took a year off. That's when I was at Quell and I yeah. was applying and interviewing and everything. And then I'm here. Yeah, I guess oh. I'm at the University of Rochester. <laughs> you you skipped over a lot. So talk about then that start of teaching and then 
having to do that work to pursue medical school? What made you make that change and what made you want to get into medical school to be a doctor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought, I always kind of thought medicine was interesting because I thought biology was interesting. Um, But it seems like a lot of work, to be quite honest, and I wasn't ready. Like, I didn't want to take the GRE. I didn't want to take the MCAT. Um, (laughs) Do you all have to take both? No, thank the Lord. Oh, okay. I was like, thank all right. Thank the Lord, no. If you go the more PhD track, you have to take uh, the GRE. Okay. But for medicine, it's just the MCAT. Um, some programs now, people don't even have to take the MCAT. It's wild. Um, but I, took, I had to take the MCAT. Um, but what I had worked with children all throughout college. So I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. I'm going to go be a teacher. Like, maybe I'll teach some science courses at an elementary school. Um, What I ended up getting was an entire kindergarten class. (laughs) Um, And I honestly think lots of people go into teaching because they didn't know what what else to do. That's the absolute worst reason to go into teaching. Yeah, I was like, I thought it was a pass. It is so hard to just, like, be doing on a whim. But it's very common. And also, like, I feel like the kids deserve more than someone who just, like, didn't know what else to do with their life. Um, It did become a passion, though. Like, I taught for three or three and a half years. um, And I actually, I did know that I loved working with children. And I absolutely loved it. I loved everything about it. I didn't love the administration, I'll be honest. Um, But the thing I liked the most about it was working with the kids hearing their stories and working with their families because they all had these very nuanced backgrounds and stories and like capabilities and limitations. And so it was really fun trying to incorporate all of that into a classroom. It's really hard though. Um, I still really like science, but I think without teaching, I wouldn't have had the context for working with people that like really allowed me to get into medicine because there's a lot of similarities like it's a lot of listening to people's stories and figuring out how to make it work um figuring out what's really going on um and there's a whole bunch of like okay this kid doesn't get these assignments done because they don't have um a babysitter and mom was working and so they were taking care of their little sibling and you know there's a lot of that in healthcare too and so understanding these dynamics uh, of the kids and the families really allowed me to think like i really like people i want to work with people and the other thing that really affected my my students was not just let's see it wasn't just that they like didn't have babysitters or had to watch their siblings. It's like all of these kids had asthma, Uh, right? Because of like living in the city, because of living in whatever housing they were living in. Um, Or whatever, in the building. Yeah, 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 exactly. They all had, there was like a ton of childhood obesity and like lack of nutrition. I taught in the South Bronx, so it was just a food desert. And so kids show up with like juices and Takis but what can you say lunch. when juices and Takis are a dollar each and a salad 
is seven dollars. Yeah. Like, and school lunch is bad. Like they try, but school lunch is bad. No kid wants to eat that. So there was a lot of that, and I was seeing all of these underlying health issues that were affecting them, and like kids had to leave school or leave the classroom because they had an asthma attack for the fifth time this week. Ugh. And it really affected their education. Um, and so I wanted to do something more. Yeah. I know like doing a teacher, like being a teacher is a lot, it's doing a lot, but I wanted to address some of the underlying things. Um, and that said, there's a lot of underlying things in healthcare too, like housing, still a thing, transportation, still a thing. Um, but it also allowed me to integrate that, that biology side that I liked a lot. Yeah, I feel like you saw that trickle-down effect that kind of the health issues went to the education system. So you're like, I'm at the bottom, but I need to yeah. start kind of at the underlining what's causing their education. And that's kind of where the stem from the medical side. Definitely. It was, it was almost like I could not think about teaching because I had to think about, like, taking care of the kids yeah. first. You know, it's like the hierarchy of needs. You have to meet the more basic needs before you can think about aspirational goals like education. Um, and I think, like, healthcare and safety is, is one of those needs. I've listened to so many people talk about during the pandemic how that's what, like, students were missing during the mm. pandemic, like losing from teachers because they forgot that like teachers are these like secondary caretakers and they notice these little things in kids and that they don't get at home. Yeah, but, absolutely. I guess absolutely. You had problems with the administration. I don't. You don't have to go too deep into that. But do you not think you're going to share that same those same problems in the medical like those same barriers? And do you want to work with kids? Still. Absolutely, there are going to be those struggles against the administration. Um, the good thing about becoming a physician in terms of doing that, though, is that at least doctors in society are generally recognized. You know, yeah. like yeah. That you can wield a lot of power as a doctor in terms of like making policy changes. You can work your way up in a hospital. And the unfortunate thing is, lots of people all over the place are still like teachers are grunt workers who do jobs that are half jobs because they get all of this time off you know yeah. and so i have that working for me but yeah it's a lot of crap it's a lot of bureaucracy it's a lot of just like covering your ass for insurance companies there are ugly parts of medicine for sure that i'm gonna have to deal with um but I feel like breaking down some of those systems makes such a big impact and it, it's gonna affect everything, right? So. Yeah, and this is gonna make you like uh, minimalize either one, but kind of what is your interest in the field? Do you wanna kind of be a straight practicing physician or do you wanna be in the more administrative side changing the policies and, you know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm kind of all over the place. I understand the importance of that administrative work but I really feel like I want to be on the ground yeah. um, and maybe that's clinical research maybe it's not just practicing physician um, maybe that's like social outreach and public health research as well um, I just can't do the like business aspect the money aspect right like it just 
it's my least favorite part of medicine, honestly. Thinking about like, oh, for each patient, the insurance company pays this and there's this payoff and this, no. <laughs> no, that's not what healthcare should be, but it is. And I absolutely think we need the people who are changing that, but I just couldn't live in that every day. That's what, on the way, like, moving up here, I wanted you to have a conversation with my mom because she was just, because she runs my uncle's practice. And she's like, you know, it's expensive and you have to get this for this. And she just sees X and Y. And I'm like, no, there's so many people that have a passion for medicine that don't see it. It's like X equals Y and, you know, X plus this equals. And, like, she's like, but no, there has to be, like, a cost benefit, yada, yada. I'm like, no, that's not how medicine should be. I know. It's interesting because I saw it at Quell a lot. Well was my first insight into the underworkings of medicine and the business and the insurance and the like making ends meet. And I talked to providers who were like, listen, we would love to accept these insurances. However, they're only going to give us this amount of money and it takes this amount of money to run the practice. And it's just so many logistics. And I get it. It costs money to run any sort of business, but... I don't know. Okay, and this may be putting you on the spot and like putting you in the position that you don't have the not, but what are a couple like barriers or changes to the system you would like to see done? Can you, do yeah. you have, yeah, you have some things have you would like thoughts. to change? Yeah, I give have them some to thoughts. me. Um, <laughs> I think one of the, first of all, like the, the insurance system is real messed up and it, it, it makes it, really hard to access care and it makes it honestly very expensive I I think for people who worrying about their health care should be the last thing that they're worried about right like there should never be families who are sitting outside of emergency rooms in case something happens but scared to go inside because they don't want to get slapped with a $2,000 bill right Mm -hmm. um And it also goes into like a lot of the unnecessary stuff us as medical providers have to do to like cover our ass, right? Like we have to spend all of this time documenting. We have to run all of these tests, even if it might not be entirely necessary just to make sure we checked all of the boxes. Um, So I think having like a more equitable insurance system is definitely one of the top of, one of the things on the top of the list. And then the other thing is just, like, integration of services. Um, We've realized that there are social determinants to health, right? We have realized that if you cannot access housing, if you cannot access transportation, then you cannot access health care, right? We realize living in poverty puts you at higher risk for cardiovascular disease, for diabetes, for hypertension, You know, these are things we know. And I go to a school that is very aimed at focusing and addressing these things. Um, But if more of the systems talked to each other and worked together, we would have a lot easier time mitigating some of these um, problems. And it would be easier to just give health care, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would be a good start. If we could just start with those, that'd be amazing. And let me just say, I am a beginning of second year medical student. My understanding of the healthcare system is 
far, far from comprehensive. That's just, you know, my experience so far. And you worked, all right, year and a half. I did. I, you I know, worked. Dealing with the, not saying you're an expert or anything, you just have knowledge <laughs> on the subject, okay? That. Yeah. yeah. All right, and now you're in the second year. Let's go through. You've had a whole year of medical school now. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Um, I've had, like, a kind of atypical med school experience because it's been COVID the entire time I've been in med school the entire time so I don't know where do you want me to start like yeah. what classes I'm taking yeah started with the classes you're taking how much uh how big are they I guess with COVID how much is Zoom how much are you like with the cadaver in there getting it like mm -hmm. yeah how much is different are they telling you what would be different I have a whole, I, I could do an entire two hour podcast on just my feelings about cadavers and the anatomy lab experience. It's what I dedicated my summer research to and will probably dedicate my medical education like wow. project to. Um, but, so to start at Rochester anyways, the first year curriculum has a clinical aspect and has a basic sciences aspect. So we start with this course called um, Human Structure and Function, HSF for short. Um, and all of these courses have acronyms. No one ever calls them by their full name. Um, thus, alphabet soup. So HSF is like anatomy, physiology, embryology, histology, all wrapped into one. And so we take this course before Thanksgiving like we end the week of Thanksgiving and like if you added it up I think someone from the New York like curriculum board added yeah. up all of the work into this course it would be a 34 credit course oh what, what before Thanksgiving right and that's not only that's not the only course we take um so we also take ICM introduction to clinical medicine and that's when we start to like do the things that a lot of us are here for, right? That's what I was here for. So we start with patient interviewing. Um, and as we work through the different aspects of patient interviewing, like taking a family history, um, getting the story of like what's happening to a patient, getting their past medical history, um, asking about like social things. Like that's the most awkward one. Everyone hates it. You have to ask about their sexual history. You have to ask them if they've done any drugs, if they smoke, if they drink. Um, but then we gradually work through physical exam skills as well. Um, and so we start to learn how to like use our fancy new tools, our stethoscopes <laughs> and our otoscopes and our ophthalmoscopes. And that kind of like runs throughout the first semester. Okay. After, after we come back from Thanksgiving, we do some like stats class. It's called MEI. Um, what is that called? Uh, Measurement. Medical, no. medical evidence and inquiry. And we learn about you know the validity of clinical research studies and like what all of the different ratios mean and statistics it's a stats course <laughs> is that only like a month and a half long from kind of yeah. after thanksgiving through christmas yeah yeah and then we come back after christmas and we take mtc uh which is molecules to cells it's all like biochemistry and molecular biology we learn about all of these ridiculous pathways. Um, 
that honestly, I don't think I'll ever remember all of them and all of these genetic disorders. Um, yeah, so we learned that. And then our clinical correlate for second semester is FBP, which is Foundations in Biopsychosocial Practice. Um, I know. Yeah. So all <laughs> this is mainly coursework you're doing right now for this whole that whole first year? Yeah. Well, in FBP, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> In FBP, um, we start to get like real clinical experiences. So ICM, we're all working with standardized patients. These are actors who are pretending to have a, an illness that we are working with to like practice our skills. Um, in FBP, we start to go onto the floor. So we get like four mini rotations and we do a rehab service, we do geriatrics, we do adults, and we do pediatrics. Um, and so we get two or three sessions each of those. And we're like working with real patients. Yeah. The problem is with COVID, like half of that was virtual. Just getting, having to do the Zoom session. Yeah. yeah. Preparing half of that was virtual. For geriatrics, we kind of like reverted back to using standardized patients. Mm. Um, so we just got to practice our interviewing skills. Um, yeah, I was actually real surprised because they let us do all of our small groups in person. Okay. So working with the, the standardized patients, we could do in a group of like eight or nine students um, in the like problem-based learning rooms. It was just our classes. It was oh. just the lectures, large group lectures we all did from Zoom. And are you pretty receptive to that? You're like, all right, I got to deal with it. It's pretty much like self-learning or was that a struggle for you? I hated it. Yeah. I hated everything about it. I'm like the kind of person, I go to class, I ask questions. I know you ask questions. I will questions. go yeah. to all of the drop-in <laughs> office hours and sit around and just listen to everybody else's questions. Like, I like to be there and I like to be taking it in from all angles and you know, at first it was fine, right? We had the anatomy lab. We yeah. went in, right? You can't, lots of schools did virtual, but like you can't really get the same experience if you're not in person. Yeah. Um, but it was like in the later months, like in the fall and the winter, where it was really just like me in a screen for six hours a day. Ugh. It was brutal. And then you have you still have to study after that. So I'm still on All the by yourself, yeah. Just like... Yeah, and I had roommates, but they were different years, and so it was just a lot of time, just me chilling. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> COVID taught me that I am a social person. I am an introvert, but I am a social person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could have told you that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you, JD? I learned this in April. Right. April 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Took you a year, but you found yourself. It's okay. Yeah. And I want to know, after this 34 credit, that first little mm. quarter class, how many people, did anyone drop out or did everyone make it through? That's the big misconception about medical school. Uh. Like once you get to medical school, all of the weeding out has been done. Okay. That's like all your intro bio, your organic chemistry, like your biochemistry. That's where all that happens. Once you get here, yeah. they have made a financial investment <laughs> and they are going to keep your ass here. Right, you may yeah. have to repeat the year, but you are going to finish unless you okay. entirely decide you don't want to do this anymore. Okay. So, there, there are 
two or three people from my class who like had to take a medical leave of absence. Um, mm. One of them had decided to just stay out of school, okay. um, but one of them continued on in in the following class. Okay. So, she is still 100% on the track to becoming a doctor. As yeah. long as that's what her heart is set on, that is what she will become. Okay. So retention rates are pretty high. That's good. All right. Yeah. And then I know you came from Columbia after this. Mm-hmm. And that was that y'all talked about that doggy dog competitive. Like no one's. How is the like camaraderie? Are y'all like for one another? Because it's all like pass fail. No one really cares if you had a 4.0, right? At a medical school. It's all just passing, right? You think. Some people still really care. Okay. Some people still really care. But I think, I don't think anyone is to the extent where they're like willing to sabotage another person in order to get that five, that 4.0, right? Yeah. Like, I think we're past that. But some people sure will like sit there on Anki all day. They sure will sit there on like whatever board prep site, mm-hmm. you know? Because for some people it really matters. And you know mm-hmm. what? all the more power to them i i it's, it's just not in me right like i want to pass i want to understand as much yeah. of the information i'm taking in as i can but like this is these two years are not the end all be all of my education right like i'm going to get on the job training um i'm going to be studying for my boards a lot of this just kind of like falls into place the more that you do it and it's important to have the foundation but for the most part, everyone's really supportive. Even the people who are like very much not like me and are more interested in like boards prep are still really supportive of their classmates. Like they're still really good people. We just study in very different ways. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bef- all right. Before I want to later on, we're going to touch on kind of uh, why you're only in two years of this. I feel like it's like a seven, eight, ten year journey. But go expand on your cadaver summer, what you spent all summer, you know, researching on and what's going to be the future of your kind of educational passion. Yeah. So I did what's what's called medical humanities research. So this is less like basic science, less um, clinical based research, but really more about like the students in the medical school and their experience in the anatomy lab. Okay. Um, and so oh. I was, I had a really hard time with anatomy lab. Um, I think initially I was like worried, like, oh my gosh, this is like, this was a human. Yeah. This, this is a human. This was a person. Like, what if I faint? Like, what if I pass out? And then very quickly it evolved to like the more like moral or philosophical questions. Like, should we be doing this? Yeah. Right. If we were not medical students, people would look at us like we were monsters. They would lock us up. Like, this is not a societally acceptable thing to do unless you are in this one situation, Mm. right? So, like, how do you reconcile that? Um, And the other thing is, like, there are parts of the anatomy lab dissection that are destructive, right? Like? Like, You know, the goal of anatomy is to dissect human cadavers in order to have a better understanding of the underlying structures. Uh And inherently, what that means is that you have to dig through, you have to cut through, you have to separate, you have to Mm -hmm. remove things in order to get to all of the little pieces of the human 
that we don't conceive of on the day to day, but are crucial to their their health and well being. You know, that are crucial for understanding things that could potentially go wrong in a person. Um, and that can be hard. Yeah. To to reconcile. I grew up in in. I grew up very much like, you know, you keep your head down, you don't ask for things. Like, it's not about you, it's about everything. Yeah. And so, all of our donors come through like an anatomical gift program. They made this decision while they were living with the understanding and permission of their families, right? A lot of thought goes into this decision yeah. um, and they give their bodies. But I really struggled with like, for my education, solely for my education, like that seems so selfish. Like, did they know what an immense... What I'm doing with this body. Yes. Like what an immense commitment that was. Um, and so I kind of spent the summer rehashing my anatomy experience and trying to understand more about the experiences of others, right? Because some people have a much easier time saying like, they made this decision. Everything about this is okay. It's part of the process. Um, and they just get along a lot easier with that. Um, but I talked to a lot of people who didn't. Mm -hmm. I talked to a lot of people who either struggled with that or struggled with the way that things were presented to us. Um, and so I just wanted a, be a better sense of like across the class, across our class, and the classes before us, um, what were the feelings about this? Like, did they find the resources that we were given helpful? Um, and like, what was their overall impression? Um, yeah, so it's really been an interesting project. I also spent a lot of time reading, um, what would you call it? Like memoirs or like autobiographical narratives about other people's experiences wow. in the anatomy lab yeah um so from different institutions so like emory university one of the books was was uh done at and i want to say brown and i want to say like wow cornell so all sorts of different institutions and they do things in different orders and in different ways all theoretically with the purpose of like giving students the best experience and understanding um but it's quite fascinating, you know, the things that people kind of universally have problems mm. with. Um, and there are kind of these two schools of thought, right? There are people who believe, as a doctor, I'm a humanist. And so I need to show empathy and I need to connect to the parts of this mm. cadaver, this body, this person that are human. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, there are the people who think, I'm a doctor, I'm a scientist. My job is to know as much as I possibly can. Yeah. And some of, in order to help my patient, and sometimes that means that I need to remove the emotion from it in order to do that, in order to do my job as best I can. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with those two views, they're just different. And I think those two views, people with those two views have very different experiences in the anatomy lab. Yeah. So, and I love you took the psychology, psychological, and then even you know our friend Vish, the philosophical yeah. point of view, 
and I guess I kind of I kind of know where you stand. There's a reason why you took such an interest in it, but I kind of want you to kind of think of maybe a third party point of view, kind of not demonizing the people that are furthering science. And yeah. this is even me, someone who always thought like furthering science is a good thing. How do you then feel about things like this getting a little deep, but like the Hitler studies and twin studies and doing some things that are controversial. But if you are a scientist, you are for, if it's better further science in the human race, is that not good? Is that not a positive thing? Okay, I'm not sure what twin studies you're talking about. Maybe they're studies I haven't heard about, but in my head, the twin studies <laughs> well, that I'm, happen quite often I, well, are I, very different. I am, and I use too specific. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done specifically, though. Like, okay, science, I mean, studies that are a little unethical, but further... Oh, let's, let me be a specific. Okay, one that I think is okay, which is definitely probably controversial, like uh, with cloning raising a artificial baby in a lab is that for the better of science like where do you stand on things like that that is definitely like on the line yeah that's very specific um i can't say i've given that a lot of thought um if you have a personal example you would rather use we can do that too so we have I went to a school specifically for its like approach to humanities mm. in medicine and okay. arts in medicine. And so we spend a lot of time having these discussions about ethics and medical ethics and what is warranted for what reward. Mm. Um, and generally one thing that we have kind of come to accept throughout all of these conversations is that all of all of these studies that we look at at some point either contextually no usually contextually people believed that this was an okay thing to do right yeah. either because they haven't evolved their perspectives enough to see um you talked about like hitler and like nazi doctors right like to see Jewish people as people, right? Or to see black people as people and not specimens, to see, and then it extends, right? To see, it's interesting that you chose like fetus baby developing at a time when like abortion uh, laws are happening and like, uh, right? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and I think the thing about these things is that there's not a good answer. I'm like skirting around your question I, I, because I don't have an answer. <laughs> it's like, I don't want this on the record. Don't hold me to this. <laughs> um, but I, I don't, I don't know. That's, I mean, you know, it, it raises a lot of questions, right? Like, is it a body? Is it a brain? Is it, you know, is there individuality? Right? Is there pain? Is yeah. there and for what purpose? Right? That's what yeah. Like they're... for IVF, people create embryos mm -hmm. and store them. And generally we don't hold many problems with that. Um, I think because it's like a one cell thing and or a, just a few cells yeah. probably at most. 
but that's very different than like raising an entire child like gestating an entire child yeah or if you're gestating it just because like it's like a furthering of IVF and you're just like gestating the child outside of the womb but not doing anything else to it like maybe that's okay are you experimenting on this like fully human fully functioning baby probably that's probably what they're doing yes probably not yeah. okay <laughs> yeah I would guess Okay. I would guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean that is the tough ethical question when you're trying to you know promote science and because like any type of scientific discovery, there's like I forgot there's some type of saying about that, but with any type of discovery, there's something that I can't think of. Yeah, it's like it's like no one benefits entirely. Yeah. Like someone's always going to be marginalized. I don't know that I believe that. I can't point to any examples of that not happening. Yeah. You have to go through every point in history. Ever the optimist, and I think that there has got to be a better way. Like, it's got to be possible. And I'm one of those, I'm that, if you, again, go in the philosophical, it's all about the greater good. I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, Mm. the few for the many, and like you're, you're willing to we, we there's a willing there's a way for us all to survive it's your mentality like we don't we don't have to let any go off the ship all for one one for all oh. yeah I don't know like lots of good studies like lots of good medicine has come from like is it good medicine I was I like take that back yeah I was good did I anything I good I don't know that that's true <laughs> From that whole, the black syphilis thing, did anything good come from that? Tuskegee. You know, I think at the beginning, I'm not sure Mm. how closely related the Tuskegee study itself was to the development of, like, was it penicillin? I think. Was it? Uh, But even if we say Tuskegee directly produced penicillin which is probably like we're giving it too much credit already like they had penicillin and continued to give black men syphilis for 30 more years that study ran for 40 years it wasn't until the 1970s i didn't know it was that long oh my penicillin was invented in the 30s it's wild right so like even if initially it was morally iffy, but penicillin came out of it, like, okay, we can sit around and have that conversation. But after you have penicillin, you have to stop not curing people of syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> like, that seems uh, pretty easy for me. I'm like, yeah, hearing about, you see now why the minorities above us don't believe in the hell and don't believe it. It's like, yeah. oh, that's why you hate the government yeah. and I don't trust. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And there's a lot of these studies, right? And it's like always un- underrepresented minor- minorities, right? Yeah. So I think the same doctor, oh my gosh. Yeah, the same doctor who ran the Tuskegee like study had previously been doing a study in somewhere in Central America and was basically like giving prostitutes syphilis 
And then having them go out and sleep with men to give them syphilis. And I, I don't even know really what the point of this was. But this was undiscovered until rather recently, mm. like within the 2000s. And he just went totally undetected because he was in South America. And there are like parts of his paper that say, like, I would never get away with this in the United States. And like, Ugh. I'm allowed to do this because these are like subhuman populations, essentially. It's wild. It's wild what we let people get, a- get away with because, right? Like, for a long time, like doctors were oh. the moral authority, the ethical authority, and so what they did, whatever they did, was okay because yeah. it's for, you know, for mm-hmm. the good. Yeah. And that's terrifying, but also contributes to why people are now not trusting because, like, doctors and scientists in general abuse that power for the sake of making medical advances. Yeah. So that, that's what the whole, our whole thing was on today about black psychology. Like not that it's mm. different, it's just like, it's so understudied and that yeah. they don't take any consideration of any, by only like white men having all this power and blah, blah, blah. At least medical, like the medical model is a little more traditional and like you can fix a problem, but still there's so many problems and not I'm perceiving still... black as having pain because we're more demonized as, you know, we're stronger, we can take it, or something like that. It's wild. Yeah. I, I can't even believe it. And it's not just that. It's even things that we deem as, like, scientific. It's like, so GFR is, what, your glomerular flow rate. It's like a, a marker of kidney function. Okay. Um, we measure it differently for people who are black and people who are white. Why? Great question. Great question. Um, I I think because at some point someone believes that Mm. physiologically there is a difference. um, But there are currently fights to get that thrown out, right? To get a standardized, um, you know, a standardized marker or calculation. And same thing happens with lung functioning tests. You have to input a race when when you enter the system, yeah. and people use it as like a well, what is the word like a, not an eponym but a like a heuristic, um, being like oh well, people who are of African American descent or like African descent have like a longer body to torso ratio, and therefore it's like okay, so if that's what you care about measure their torso and that will tell you how large their lungs are instead of using this marker that like may vary like i've met six and a half foot tall black men Mm -hmm. and i've met like five foot four black men like let's (laughs) not all black men are super tall and have long so it's it's just wild there are people working to like reverse these things and to get these things rectified in healthcare, but it's it's even in the things that we've decided are unbiased because they're scientific yeah. calculations. You know, not even those are unbiased because of the people who designed them. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, so. literally, I've learned, and 
I this girl I really like, but I've noticed she has that problem, like in our class, and she just wants to make every type of correlation, like, oh, this means this, that means these people are this. Like today, she tried to say, oh, since adopted people of color don't have a communal, because like people of uh, African descent like have a stronger sense of mental health from a communal standpoint. So like, so adopted people, then it's that lead to higher rates of addiction because they, I'm like, whoa, where did you, and the, the teacher's like, kind of just like, you don't just jump from like, okay, because this, because this, all right, there are higher rates of getting addicted to drugs. Like, wait, what? Like, you don't just get to make these assumptions and do this just off one basic calculation of, like, yeah. So now go through only two years. What's the situation? Because I thought you have a 10-year route before it your is. license. It's like, <laughs> it's a lot of training, but it's a bunch of like two, three, four-year steps. So medical school itself is four years. Okay. My first two years are like basic sciences. It's a lot of coursework. I'm in the classroom. I gradually get to see more real patients. Um, like this year, we have a course called PCC another acronym um it's called primary care clerkship and so we get to spend once a week for 21 weeks um in like a primary care office Um, and then six of those weeks we also spend in a pediatrics office um so we're getting more and more clinical experience um, but there's still it's still very coursework heavy um third year and fourth year what happens is you enter your clinical years and so my whole third year and fourth year really um, is dedicated to trying out the different core specialties and then in between you have elective time and you can dabble in whatever else you're interested in so that can be research it can be the specialties that are not core specialties um, that you're interested in trying out so is that a more niche yeah so it can either be like super subspecialized That's what I was elective yeah. or it can be something like urology, oh. which is very broad, but is just not part of our core, core electives okay. in our medical curriculum. So it's like, um, what is it? We take medicine, surgery, OBGYN, neurology, psychology, and pediatrics third year. Okay. Um, oh, and wow. then emergency medicine and family medicine fourth year. The rest is elective time. So you can spend that exploring a bunch of other stuff. So you can do a cardiac care clerkship. You can do, um, you can do an away rotation. You can do genetics. You can do urology. You can do like vascular surgery or like a, some sub, sort of like surgical subspecialty or like ICU or yeah. And then and then okay. <laughs> there's residency. Um, so like at, at the point that I'm done with fourth year, I will have an MD, but I will not have any of the specialized training that I need to go into the field that I go into. Um, so then you spend a bunch of time sort of specializing your training. So some people after that do a fellowship. Um, So they get even more specialized. So for example, you could do a general surgery residency Mm -hmm. and then you can go into cardiothoracic surgery or you could go into like colorectal surgery or you could go into Uh, some other. That's how you get paid more. You get that subspecialty of a, yeah. 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 
Okay. Another way that like the hierarchy of medicine mm. and our obscure pay system, I don't know. There are people in both camps though. There are people who are like, I want the doctor who knows how to like work on my pinky finger really well. And then I'll go to a doctor who knows how to work on my thumb really well because they do it so much that they're never gonna make a mistake. But then like you lose all of your other knowledge of yeah. other things. And so there are also people who believe, no, I need to know an adequate amount about most things. Um, right. I don't See, know where I sit. Yeah. I, now, I think I'm like less of a specialist. And I don't want to, we got plenty of time. You just laid it out. We don't want to go into what the interest of specialty. We're only in year one, right? Well, in year two, but done with year yeah. one. We got time. Yeah. All right. I know, exactly. So what do you think you're most, I guess, do you think you're good at, you know, interviewing? What do you think is your most talented skill you've learned so far? Or what are you best at? That's loaded. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um. Well, I mean, in terms of the uh, medical profession of what you learn, you don't, you can't tell what you think you're best at assessing. You can't do a self-evaluation. She's gonna put a ten. No. Um, I, I think I, I certainly feel the most comfortable with like patient interviewing, speaking to patients, figuring out their story, um, you know, making them feel like heard and understood, is maybe maybe my best talent i need more practice at like physical skills um yeah and then we learn other stuff later on like we do eventually learn how to suture um we eventually learn how to do some ultrasound stuff but right now i think it's interviewing yeah remember whenever we have something i'm gonna call steven i'll be like i'm coughing in this area and you're gonna have to identify <laughs> it like through the phone just know that you have my phone number yeah <laughs> Alright. So what are you most looking for? As we end Alphabet Soup segment yeah. one, what are you looking forward to in PCC or just this upcoming fall semester? I am looking forward to the opportunity to work with more patients and um, to kind of like work with patients in the same place. You know, really yeah. get the gist of what it means to like work as part of a clinic. Um, consistently and thoroughly um, and like hone my skills hone my craft hell yeah that's exciting yeah the year. <laughs> you're getting to it that's exactly what you signed up for is that's what you're doing you know seeing the yeah. patients consistently absolutely all right thank you Milena for joining me for again alphabet soup for now all right. thank you it's been great yeah I'll talk to you at the end of the semester okay see you then bye thank you Elena for joining me for Alphabet Soup for her initial segment talking about her medical school journey. All right. In year two now. We're, we're going to have a lot more stuff on the cadavers. All right. We're going we're gonna to get into that. But that is all for a Modern Man podcast. Yeah, J.D. Farrell, I am signing off because, yeah. You've heard enough of me ramble today. Y'all have a great week. Y'all like, subscribe, share with your friends. Subscribe to the Modern Network. We just released a brand new podcast. Stephen Merriweather, Hunter Herrera is now, he was been a good friend of the podcast and now he's actually joining the network. Weekly Spread Podcast. Tell you, once again, the Weekly Spread Podcast. Like, subscribe, and share that. We got three bets coming from you each week from each of us. 
right, all we do is pick winners, baby. I'm 2-0-1. One tie we pushed, but we ain't losers over here. We're nothing but winners. Like, subscribe, tell your friends. I'm J.D. Farrell. We're presented to you by the Modern Podcast Network and the Modern.fm.